Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chiu Dogu and I'm the co-founder and COO of Adogu Media Group. Dogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. If you want to learn how to grow your sales using Gorilla B2B sales strategies, then you'll definitely want to check out this summit. 10 world-class entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and sales and marketing professionals are going to share their best-kept secrets on how to grow your sales in the B2B space. You'll learn things like how to leverage your skills, how to apply LinkedIn to get non-stop leads, how to prospect and win, how to be a go-giver so that you can get more clients by actually serving them first, and of course, the art of closing the deal with your prospects and clients so that they'll feel like they're doing business with their long-lost friend. I have speakers coming from the likes of Dan Locke, Bob Berg, Paul Brody, Kimanzi Constable, Josh Elledge, Dr. Cindy McGovern, Tyle Roxon, Monique Russell, and Karen Yankovic. They'll be sharing their best-kept secrets on how you can succeed and win in your B2B sales goals in 2020. The summit starts November the 18th and 19th and will feature 30-minute actionable keynote addresses to equip you with all the tools and strategies you need to succeed. If you want to sign up, go to www.b2bsamas.com or www.b2bsalesmasterysummit.com to sign up for the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. I can't wait to see you there. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Chi Odogu. Today's guest is Andrew Tarvin. Andrew is the world's first humor engineer. He teaches people how to get better results while having more fun at work. His company, Humor That Works, has helped over 25,000 people at over 250 organizations, including Procter & Gamble, GE, ESPN, Microsoft, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and many more. Learn how to be more productive, less stressed, and happier. Andrew is the author of the best-selling book, Humor That Works, 501 Ways to Beat Stress, Increase Productivity, and Have Fun at Work. He's been featured on the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company, and has also done a TED Talk that has been viewed over 100,000 times. I'm pleased to have Andrew on the show today to tell us a little bit more about himself, his business experience, his background, and of course, how we can apply humor that works at work to achieve better results. So with that said, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. All right, Andrew, so I, I talked a lot about, you know, your accolades and your esteem, you know, spoken at TED, best-selling author, been in Forbes and everything, but before, you know, you became the star that you are, you know, you started from somewhere, you went to college like everybody else, you know, you got into, you started work. So tell us a little bit about that origin story, that backstory of how you um, went to school, you know, developed your career, and then, of course, now launched into this business. 
Absolutely. Well, so uh, by way of background, um, which is a little bit surprising to people sometimes, is because uh, I talk about humor now, but my background is in computer science and engineering. And so people hear like, wait, an engineer talking about humor, that's like an oxymoron, no? Um, but, uh, you know, so I've always been an engineer. I was never the, you know, life of the party or class clown type person. I've always been more of a, a nerd and always into academics and everything. So went to the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering. And after I graduated, started working as a project manager at Procter & Gamble. And uh, as an engineer, I've always been obsessed with efficiency, right? How to do things as efficiently as possible. Like I've uh, started listening to podcasts on one and a half speed because it's faster. Uh, and also because more people sound like me, right? Makes the voice a little bit higher like mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but I realized at PNG that you couldn't be efficient with people. You know, that you had to uh, be effective uh, because of people's emotions and feelings and that people were stressed out sometimes and uh, distracted and all of that. And so I didn't necessarily have the skill set that I needed to be effective with people, but uh, I started doing improv and stand up in college. And I started to realize that some of the same skills you need to be effective as an improviser, as a stand up comedian are some of the exact same skills you need to be effective in the workplace. So what were some of those skills? Uh, so I think one being, you know, able to hold conversations, uh, you know, we as engineers, we, we tend to, to be very good with things like computers or with math or with processes, yeah. but we can't always necessarily go to a networking event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so improv taught me the skills to be more comfortable with even just having a conversation with someone, going up to someone at a networking event, knowing kind of what to say or how to at least continue the conversation so it's not just you know, awkward and you're just kind of standing there. Uh, I think things like that, presentation skills for sure, having a little bit more confidence, creativity, like there's tremendous number of, uh, you know, skills that I learned from those areas that apply to the business world. You mentioned this skill with improv and networking. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think there's, there's something to be said about how you can apply humor in a networking situation that will make you memorable and stand out so that you can build that no like and trust factor quickly and then people will remember you and say, hey, I like hanging around with this guy. So tell us a little bit more about that. How, how does one apply humor in a situation like you're trying to network and connect with people, but you have a time crunch, but you want to be memorable and remembered so that you can build your network faster? Yeah, well, so I, I mean, speaking of, of networking, we, you know, the value of networking is that uh, 70% of jobs are found through networking. Mm. You know, we wish that it's, you know, just kind of applying online or it's just falling in our lap. But a lot of times it's because you know someone mm-hmm. and you know someone through through meeting. And so I learned that early on and realized, oh, I need to, to get better at this. So I, I developed a, a three-step process for networking that I follow personally. And so the, the first step is um, to ask questions, uh, to ask interesting questions, because, you know, we, we learned from Dale Carnegie in, in the book, how to win friends and influence people is that, you know, one of the keys to, to really build a relationship with someone is to get them talking and then to, to shut up, right. To, to listen to them. And, um, and that's an easy way, especially for us introverts, because then we don't have to do as much of the talking. But the problem is if you go to a networking event and you ask the same standard questions, you know, mm-hmm. simple things of like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. People are going to replay with the same, they're going to reply with the same standard answers. 
and they're not going to remember the conversation at all. Yeah. So instead of asking just regular questions, you know, I, I encourage people to ask more interesting questions and they can just be slight spins on it, right? Have a little bit of humor, add a little bit of fun to the question itself. So instead of asking, what do you do? You might ask, you know, what's the coolest thing that you've worked on in the past couple of months? Um, and a lot of times you'll then learn what that person does in that process, but it'll be a more interesting question than just what do you do? Yeah. Uh, and you can also ask instead of things like, you know, where are you from? You might ask, you know, what's the coolest thing about your hometown? Uh, or what do you miss most about where you grew up? You know, just small tweaks to these questions make the answers a lot more meaningful and a lot more impactful. Mm -hmm. uh, the second step to, to networking then is to uh, tell compelling stories. So when people ask you a question, you know, sometimes people hear the like, oh, well, I've got to ask questions. Uh, and they, they hear that as like becoming an interrogation of the other person. And so if someone asks you a question, you don't want to like flip it back on them immediately. Uh, so you want to answer the question. But rather than just giving kind of a yes or no or straight factual answer, you can tell a little bit more of a story. And in that story, you can add a little bit of humor. So, you know, for example, if you ask me, what do you what do I do? You know, I, I could just say I'm a speaker, mm -hmm. um, but I've come up with the, the job title of humor engineer. And so I'll say, oh, I'm a humor engineer. And people will be like, wait, what, is, what does that mean? Mm. And so then I'll say, you know, just as a computer science engineer solves problems using computers, I use humor as a way to solve problems. And it looks like X, Y or Z or I go into a little bit more of a story. And by going into that story, what it does is, one, it's, it makes you more memorable because facts told in story form are 20 times more likely to be remembered than facts told in bullet point form. Yeah. And then, two, it gives you an opportunity. Stories are a great opportunity to add a little bit of humor. So I can talk about like, oh, you know, I've always been an engineer obsessed with efficiency, you know, ever since I can remember, or really since before I can remember because I was born three weeks early. That, you know, so even in the womb, I was like, I don't need a full nine months. I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> right? So... I'm telling the story of being an engineer, but I'm adding a little bit of humor to that. That's going to make the other person laugh and help you, you connect a little bit more. Yeah. And then the, the final step, just to kind of close out the three, is to continue the conversation. And, and you can do that, one, in person. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to draw from improvisation is the fundamental mindset of improv, which is yes and. And so yes and is just building off whatever the last person says. So even if someone is like, you know, hey, how about this weather? Uh, you know, at a networking event, you can be like, yes. And, you know, it's pretty nice out right now. If you weren't at this networking event, how would you be enjoying the weather? And so you take a conversation that's about weather and you turn it into something that's more memorable because they're going to talk about their hobbies or their passions or things like that. So that's the three-step process that I follow. Each one kind of has a, a hint of humor with it, but it's going to help you to stand out. And for me, at least, it makes the process of networking a lot more fun. Yeah. All right. That, wow, that's a, that's really cool stuff. Now you mentioned two things, and I want to dive into those two things. The first thing is you mentioned about you being an introvert, and then of course you're now a public speaker. You're training people on how to use humor, and your natural inclination when you were in school was you studied computer science. So, so who's really better at applying humor to make the workplace more fun and more diverse? Is it introverts because they're more analytical or is it extroverts because that's their natural aptitude and ability to connect with people? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that um, introverts versus extroverts, they tend to have 
you know, and, and in general, it's not true for everyone, but they tend to have different styles of humor a little bit where extroverts tend to be really good at the conversational kind of off the cuff humor mm -hmm. that just happens, you know, in, in conversation. And that's something that certainly can be learned. That's where improv helps you to kind of learn that skill. Okay. Um, and introverts tend to be really good at say observational humor because mm -hmm we're more likely to kind of sit back and be observing and taking everything in. Mm -hmm. uh, introverts are sometimes are really good at that, that, that kind of spot on observation that really kind of pinpoints an idea or, um, you know, create something. So they can be very good at kind of creating more intentional humor. And both of those things can be learned by either side, but I think that's where their strengths tend to lie. Mm. Okay. And the second part of it is reading through the book, there was a part where you talked about the 30 benefits of humor at work. And you being, or you calling yourself a humor engineer, reading through the book, it's not necessarily, hey, you teaching somebody how to be, you know, f comedian, funny guy, Jerry Seinfeld. It's more like having those little ingredients that make things light. So where, for example, you, you can send an email that is just, hey, I want you to do this. You put a little funny spin on it to make it memorable and then you still get the message across. Now, I want to know, though, I, the humor engineer, and I'm trying to frame this correctly, um, being a humor engineer, are you more focused on creating an environment that makes it more productive in the workplace? Because you're not necessarily teaching people, you know, comedic timing and rhythm and improv when, when you're doing your seminars in different companies, are you? You're just teaching them how to add some little spices that will make the, the, the job not seem as bad as it is. Yeah, I, I think that's a great kind of observation to see that, that distinction. And so what we say, both with the goal of the book and then our, our training programs, it's, it's not so much about making the workplace funny as about making the workplace a little bit more fun. And the reason why we focus on, you're exactly right, we don't teach, in, in some of our hands-on workshops, the deeper dives, we do talk a little bit about comedic structure and timing and all that kind of stuff. But our goal is not to necessarily make people funnier. Um, it's to make them effectiver. Mm. And so, you know, part of that is understanding that humor is more broad than comedy. So a lot of times when we hear humor, we think of comedy, we think yes. of laughter, we think of jokes. But humor also includes things that are a little bit silly or even things that are a little bit different, right? It doesn't necessarily have to evoke laughter, but maybe it evokes a smile. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we focus on that is because we're focused on getting results. And, and to be funny, right, to be hysterical, to be, you know, kind of a stand-up comedian can be very, very challenging. And it's not to say it's a bad thing, but it's, a, it's something that's harder for people to, to grasp. And some people are like, oh, I, you know, I can never do stand-up comedy. But to use humor in the workplace, you don't have to. Instead, you can do things that are a little bit more subtle or a little bit easier. So you can, you know, instead of like working on perfect jokes, if you're delivering a presentation, you can start to use images in your presentation mm -hmm. uh, instead of just, you know, a wall full of text. Or even in your own work, you can play your work. You can find ways that aren't going to necessarily make you laugh out loud while you're doing your work. But while you're reading emails, one of the things that I do is I, I start to read each of the emails in a different accent in my head. Mm. And, you know, that's not necessarily hilarious. And it would be kind of weird if I'm, you know, going through email and just kind of cracking up to myself the entire time. But instead, it's about changing my perspective as a way to stay engaged in that work a little bit more. Yeah. And so our focus is more broad. And it's not that, you know, it's not a you know, workshop on, on comedy, but more so 
using humor and, and kind of to your point, the engineer piece is really important to me. The using it for a specific result is really important as opposed to just, you know, having fun for the sake of fun. It's like, no, let's use it so that we get people to pay attention more or so that they remember something longer or so that we relieve stress so that we, um, you know, have more energy or so that we are seen as a leader, even though, you know, we're not in a leadership position, but Mm -hmm. because we take, um, you know, because we take action and because we take um, kind of responsibility, we're seen more as a leader and we're given more opportunities. Like we're using humor to achieve those things. Okay. Okay. And, you know, one aspect I liked about your book, was it was laden with a lot of facts and statistics. And I know a lot of people listening to this show have probably heard the stats that, oh, people are disengaged at work. 55% of people are unsatisfied with their job. Um, 83% of Americans are stressed out at work. And people don't quit jobs that they like. They just quit bosses that they don't get along with. And given the fact that a lot of listeners on this show are still, you know, building out their careers, you know, how can one apply humor in a situation where you... All right, let me put it in an extreme context. It's a toxic work environment. You know, you're stressed out, and, you know, you just feel like, oh, you know what, I just need to quit or leave right away. So if someone that is in a much junior or subordinate position is feeling that kind of intense pressure and and they're like, you know what, F it, man, I just want to roll... How can you say, okay, you know what, rather than making a drastic decision right now, why don't you, you know, try and see if you can make the situation better by applying humor that works in the workplace and then give it a month or two and see if you will Mm -hmm. get a better reaction or if the situation will change for the better while you're planning whether you will still leave or not. Right. Well, and I think that's a, a great thing for, for people to, to keep in mind is to think about is it. like, yeah, they, you know, humor may not make every situation perfect, mm-hmm. but it can make a lot of situations better. And, and so let me, let me say something and I want you to say whether or not you agree with the statement or not. All right. Okay. Tell me whether you agree or disagree okay. uh, that you are responsible for your own happiness. True. Right. Agree yeah. or disagree. So I would say I agree. agree, right? I agree. Yeah. So you are responsible for your own happiness. And so, you know, it's not up to your manager. It's not up to your coworkers. It's not up to, you know, anyone really your clients in the workplace to make sure that you enjoy what you do. Uh, you know, now hopefully they don't detract from that, but like you're saying, if it's a toxic environment, maybe they make it very difficult for you to actually be happier to, to enjoy your work. But ultimately, even if that's the case, you're still responsible for it. And so you decide every single day, how you're going to do your work. You know, if you're going through email, you decide how you're going to do that email. If something happens, you decide your perspective on what happens. We can't control everything that happens, but we can control our reaction to it. And so even if you're in an environment where someone says no humor whatsoever, or it's very toxic and you don't like it, or you don't get along with people, there's still things that you can do for yourself. So for example, no one can stop you from reading those emails in an accent in your head, right? No one can control how you think. Mm-hmm. No one can prevent you from listening to a comedy podcast on your way home from work every single day as a way to relieve some stress and show up more present for your family when you get there. You know, no one can prevent you from the execution of some of these things that you do for yourself. Like, you know, in, in some environments, when I was first starting out, when I was an intern, and had to do a lot of data entry, I would listen to music and then I would enter the data kind of to the the beat of the music that I was listening to. And I was listening to more upbeat music so that it it, uh, kept my energy up. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in our, when you're taking notes for yourself, you can take more visual notes um, so that you stay a little bit more engaged. And that doodling process actually helps you to, to retain things a little bit longer. 
right? And unless someone's going to be looking at your notes specifically later, they can't control that. In meetings, I used to also scribble like joke ideas that I had down kind of in the the margins of the things that I was doing. So there's these small things that you can do for yourself that says, okay, if I have to do this work anyway, I might as well try to find some ways to have a little bit more fun Mm. doing it. Mm. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, Andrew. So let's let's go into a case study. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to give us a story of, you know, you showed up for a seminar you know, they told you, hey, we need you guys to come in and teach us how to make this a better workplace. And first of all, they were skeptical hiring you and your organization because they didn't know what exactly you guys were going to do. And maybe they had a significant challenge in their organization. And then you come in, you teach them how to do it, and then the result comes out. So could you give us a story that shows, okay, there was a big skepticism towards applying humor in the workplace, and then the, the result that comes out from adopting the techniques that you teach? Yeah, so uh, I think um, you know um, a, a fun one for me is is some of the work that we've done with the FBI. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so we did some work with the FBI. Uh, the the presentation was a little bit intimidating because ninety uh, percent of the room was armed, <laughs> um, right? Because there are agents there. Um, but the uh, luckily, someone within the FBI, they saw my TEDx talk, they really liked it and kind of reached out as a result of that. But some of the people in the room were skeptical. But the, the reason why they brought me in is that uh, they, they this were, was a particular office that dealt a lot with the private sector, a lot with like C- CEOs and senior leaders of organizations that they would have to go in and, and give presentations to or have meetings with. And what they were finding is that, you know, because it's the FBI, they had a certain kind of stigma to it. You, you know, it's just kind of intimidating to they call from the FBI, right, yeah, yeah. or to have a meeting with them. And so they wanted to uh, find a way that they could better build rapport with their, you know, clients or with the people that they were meeting with. And so humor can be great for that. If you're meeting someone for the first time, if you can make uh, you know, if you can make them laugh, it kind of shows that you're standing on the same side. And, and the other thing is, is Here's another kind of dumb question for you, but I still want your, your answer to it. Uh, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? Something that is fun. Right? Yeah. So easy answer. You'd rather do something that is fun. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to make your, say, your meetings a little bit more fun, then people would probably be a little bit more likely to want to engage in that meeting or more willing to come to it. Or if you were to make your work a little bit more fun, you'd maybe be a little bit more engaged in your own work. And so... We work with the FBI. There was some skepticism. Like you said, kind of that shared in the book, we do, we're big into to research. Mm. We want to make sure the things that we're talking about is actually backed by research. Not that it's just like theoretically this is fun, but you know the 30 benefits that you talked about are all backed by research, case studies, real world examples. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've seen the research on it. We've seen the experience in our own organizations. And so we shared with them some of that that research to kind of get them on board. And then the other thing that we do in a lot of our programs is uh, a lot of interaction, a lot of applied improv exercises. So we get them to do a, a specific activity to kind of see the difference between, hey, here's a way of doing this without humor, and then here's a way of doing it with humor. And, and you can kind of notice the difference itself mm. in terms of how it feels or how much you're more likely to be engaged. And so... Through that program, we then were able to, to train up some of that skills of, of using humor and um, make it so that it is a little bit, you know, it's still intimidating when you get a phone call from the FBI, but after you have that first meeting, now you're like, oh, okay, that was actually enjoyable. I actually want to, you know, next time they call, I'm willing to pick up and schedule another meeting with them. Mm, okay. 
Cool, very cool. I love that. I love that example. Because uh, n- nothing as intimidating as having a Fed come in with a gun. Because even mm-hmm. if you did nothing wrong, you still feel threatened and say, okay, he, maybe they found something that I did not know I did. So that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as we start to wind out the show, Andrew, so like I told you earlier, it's centered more towards people that are still early stage of their careers or building out their entrepreneurial businesses. So for entrepreneurs specifically, when it comes to landing, you know, your first couple clients or your first couple leads, you built your business from scratch after leaving Procter & Gamble. So mm-hmm. give us some tips of how we can apply the same techniques, you know, to start, you know, talking to prospects and converting them to leads and closing sales. Yeah. Uh, well, I think so for me, one of the hardest things when I first started was was having to learn that uh, in the grand scheme of things, no one cares about humor in the workplace, right? It's not what people are buying is in terms of clients. And, you know, if you look at the, the search for humor in the workplace, there's maybe a thousand global monthly searches on Google compared to hundreds of thousands or even millions of searches for things like, you know, improving um, stress management uh-huh. or uh, communication skills or so all of these things that humor can help solve. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that I had to learn was, OK, how do I how do I connect what I do to what people need and, and being really relevant to them? So talking about the benefits of the programs that we have versus, say, the features uh-huh. and and humor is a is a how it's not kind of really what I'm encouraging people to do, yeah. but rather how they should do it. So I would say, one, getting crystal clear on the benefit that you provide, what, sol- what problem you're solving for the group. And then when you're explaining how your solution solves that or how your services um, can help them with that, use a little bit of humor in that process because people like to do business with, one, with people who they like and, two, people that they trust. And, again, when you can get people laughing and get them on the same side and showing that you understand them because you understand their sense of humor and what will actually make them laugh – they're much more likely to buy because they're like, oh, I, I've enjoyed this experience with this person. Mm. And I know it's not going to just be your kind of traditional, like very cold process. But instead, every time I meet with this person or when they deliver the service, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. Well, that, that's very interesting. I, I didn't know that. So basically, your keywords online are not necessarily humor, but it's more of like the results that by applying humor, you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome. And as we're winding down the show, my second to the last question for you, Andrew, is looking back on your career thus far, you know, from working in Procter & Gamble to starting your own business, um, do you think there's anything you could have done differently to speed you along the entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I think that uh, two things. One, kind of similar to what I was talking about before, is is realizing earlier on that um, you know humor isn't the main focus. It's it's a feature, not a benefit. And changing that language, kind of like I just talked about, um, that would have helped. And um, and also getting better at explaining to people what I do, and and getting more of focusing on a, a target. Because you know I I do believe that almost anyone can learn to use humor to be more effective, but uh, when people, when I told people I teach humor in the workplace, they'd be like, all right, great. If we ever need humor in the workplace, we'll call you. But that never ever, like hardly ever comes up. Yeah. So instead, when I started t- telling people that I teach people how to have the business skills they need to go along with the technical skills that they have, or sometimes I would joke that I teach engineers how to be more human. Mm-hmm. 
um, what that did is it told the audience, oh, okay, he helps with kind of like business training. Hmm. And then from that, they would ask, okay, like, how do you kind of do that? I would explain that humor and improv is part of it because, you know, life is too short to have training that's terrible and boring. Mm-hmm. And humor can help us to get these results. What I found was rather than thinking that, oh, he's only for engineers, one, almost everyone has a connection to engineers. So people would be like, oh, our engineering department, I had to work with the engineers all the time. They need this training. Or, you know, my spouse is an engineer. She could use this. Um, right. The other thing that I found is that people would be like, oh, interesting. If you can do that for engineers, can you also do it for marketing? Mm-hmm. Can you also do it for sales? And so what I thought would pigeonhole me and put me just into one box just better helped people understood what I did and gave them a different context and still actually kept a, a market that was pretty wide for me. And so I think doing that sooner would also have helped my business. Mm-hmm. So basically by niching down and calling it, you know, helping engineers become more human and more approachable, it kind of like gave you a specific field to work in. And then people saw that, okay, this works well for this particular niche. Do you think it's going to be great for adjacent people? So people in sales, business development, marketing, uh, IT, etc. Yep, exactly. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, Andrew, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the past half hour or so, learning more about you and your book and your story. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, learn more about you, and of course, um, get the book, Humor That Works. Absolutely. So if uh, you're interested in humor resources, you can go to humorthatworks.com, which is uh, our site. We have plenty of free resources, blogs up there, a, a newsletter. Um, but we also have a link to our book that just came out in April, which is all on kind of the what, why, and how of humor in the workplace. Uh, if you're interested in kind of connecting directly with me, if you like puns or things like that on social media, that's what I often tend to share. Uh, you can follow me at Drew Tarvin, so D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V-I-N, on all social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, um, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and I think uh, I recently discovered that I still have a MySpace page. Uh, so <laughs> people are connecting on MySpace. I'm it, there. It's still on. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. That site still exists. I <laughs> I stumbled on it and and all that. So uh, yeah, they can connect with me that way. Awesome, awesome. And I'll be sure to link to that once this episode is uh, published and ready to go. Like so, Andrew. Thanks a lot for coming to share your story and your words of wisdom. I truly appreciate you taking the time to do this interview today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And, of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. Or you can find the podcast on Google, iTunes, or whatever podcast player you listen to by simply searching The Bulletproof Entrepreneur.